You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. As you find your way in this morning, I want to welcome you to CFCC. If you're in the foyer, you're going to want to come in because we are about to start church, folks. There's a lot to celebrate. I know we're coming off the evening of a huge win for the Houston Astros, but we're going to celebrate this morning the one true king, right? Amen? Our sign out front says, welcome home. And we want you to know we sincerely mean that. When you go home, you feel accepted, right? Whether you're experiencing the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, When you go home, you share that with people that love you. And no matter what, you're you're accepted and it's all okay. And that's a place that CFCC longs to be for you if it's not already. For those of you that have experienced that, share that. Let people know that God's house is a place where we're home. We bring it all. We bring our messy selves and we leave it at the cross and we celebrate, right? So please feel welcome this morning. Welcome, kids. Come on in. It's great to see you. Love to see these smiling faces come in. Like to go over um, some things that are in your bulletin. You probably noticed we've been putting the fall festival in here pretty much every week. We're getting ready for that. It's going to be next Sunday. So if you um, haven't had the chance to sign up to run a booth be part of something in that, please um, take the opportunity to do that. You'll be blessed for being part of that. It's going to be a great community event. Also, um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. In the back of your pews, you'll find blank cards. And what we're asking our members to do is take one of those cards, write a quick note of thanks or encouragement. We all know when we receive them, whether it's verbal or on a card, those words go a really long way. And we really want our pastors to know how much we appreciate all that they do for us. So if you will, grab one of those cards out of the pew backs. You can drop it in the offering basket, or there are two green baskets in the back of the worship center for you to drop those cards in. Uh, We are continuing elder nomination time, and there's a flyer in your bulletin as well. If you'll read through that, I'm sure there's some people that you can think of, some men that fit the criteria that we're looking for in an elder. We ask that you approach that person Ask them, would they be interested in being an elder? If they are, submit their name. And there's also a box in the back of the foyer. So just before the service, before most people got here, I was sitting over there on the pew that we normally, on the bench that we normally sit at. And uh, there was a familiar purse next to me. So I thought, you know, I know there's some chewing gum at the bottom of that purse. And I was rummaging around in there. The further I got into it, the less familiar it became. (laughs) And I'm thinking, this is not good. It was my wife's. But you can see how that could have gone badly wrong, right? Um, Okay, so we're moving into a time of of giving. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them 
you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then it kind of flips. So these are the things that are presented to us by Christ as believers. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That's a kind of tall order. But for this very reason, the reason of the things that are presented to us by the gospel and by Christ, we are asked to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue, behavior showing moral standards. By the way, I can punch myself here, you know, with how well or how I do not do well some of these things. And virtue, supplement virtue with knowledge. Knowledge, learning of facts and information, obtaining skills. And knowledge with self-control, self-control. Controlling your emotions and desires. And self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness, firm and unwavering. And steadfastness with godliness, devoutly pursuing the divine character of God. And godliness with brotherly affection. A gentle feeling of fondness and liking. And brotherly affection with love. Deep affection for. What a fantastic presentation of what Christ wants for us. And so you can connect those scriptures any way you like to giving. First of all, with all that Christ has given us. And then with the pursuit of these things that are allowed, encouraged and wanted from our Saviour. So, that's what we're doing here, in part. I think as I read that, because I, I like to tell people I love them, if I feel that's true. But if I come back to that, it makes me go, ooh, I need to to think about that more carefully. So that's the pursuit that we're here for this morning through our Savior in Christ. Use it as an encouragement and give as you can, not just as the basket goes by, of course. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures that uh, ping us, Lord, when we read them. And as we look for encouragement from you, we recognize that you have set us apart, Lord. So we thank you for all the ways in which you work in our lives. And we thank you for the encouragement of these scriptures that draw you into us. Because we know that alone without you, Father, these things are so difficult to do. There are so many ways in which we can fall um, by fleshly desires. So we ask that we dial in, we tune ourselves into your way in our lives. We 
pray, Lord Jesus, for strength in this congregation as we go forward. Amen. Well, how about those Astros? Man, is that fun or what? So good for the city. Uh, such a fun time uh, to come together and rally around the team. Um, I'm excited to be with you here this morning. Uh, good to have you. I know some of you are staying up late watching the game, so it's especially great to have you here worshiping with us. Good to hear your voices and uh, sing this morning. We're starting a new series. Uh, we just finished our series on the prodigal son, and we're beginning a new one here that I want to tell you about this morning. I want to start off by asking you a question. Have you ever wondered why we do what we do at church? I mean, when you think about all the different elements that we have, like what's, why do we do it? Is it just because we like doing these things, or is it because we did them last week? Is it because it's a tradition? Is it because... Um, we did it last Sunday and we did it the Sunday before that and the Sunday before that. Why do we do the things that we do? And really, what's the, what's the point? What's the purpose? Is there something more? What's, what's the reason for all of this? And, and when it comes to worship specifically, gathering together um, to worship or worshiping privately, personally, uh, what does it really matter? We, we know that in scripture it tells us that there's nothing that we can do that's going to make God love us anymore. We can't earn favor with him. It's by grace that we're saved. And we know that there's nothing that we can do that's going to make him love us any less. So when it comes to worship, really, what is the point? Marva Dawn, an American theologian, calls worship a royal waste of time. Which kind of maybe makes you really, uh, you know, take a back at that phrase, but she doesn't say it for the reasons that you think. She uses that phrase very, very specifically. She says that worship is a royal waste of time. It's royal because God is our focus. He's the only one who's worthy. He's the king of the universe, the uncreated creator, overall sovereign and so it reminds us that it's not about us. When we come together to worship, oftentimes we walk away and we go, you know what, that really, that really didn't do anything for me. Or I didn't really like the worship this morning. Or I didn't like the style of that song. But at the end of the day, worship is not about us. It's about the king. And so worship is royal. We're looking to God as the focus as our audience of one. And it's a waste. This is a really interesting word here. It's, it's a waste because there's nothing productive out of it. So often we spend our lives trying to achieve and accomplish and succeed at things. And in worship, there's none of that happening. We're simply just giving it all. We're surrendering everything to God. And by the world's sort of outlook, um, by the world's perspective on worship, it's, it's a waste in that it's a negative thing. But for us, man, giving ourselves and surrendering ourselves to God without accomplishing anything for our, our own purpose is a beautiful thing. And it's a royal waste of, of time because Hopefully, we're not looking at our watch. 
hopefully we're not, we're not you know, worried about beating the Baptists to lubies. <laughs> hopefully, we're losing ourselves in worship to God. It should be a beautiful thing. I mean, our worship services um, early on in the Reformation would last hours and hours and hours. You think, oh my gosh, that would be an awful thing to be at church for hours and hours. But it's actually a beautiful thing if the people of God came together to just sort of lose themselves in worship to God, not accomplishing anything for themselves, but giving it all to God. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. I've said this before, but you could translate this, this verse that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your very, is how it could be literally translated. Everything that you are, extra given to God. The book of Malachi was, was written in 450 to maybe 420 BC. We're not exactly sure when it was written. And it's going to be sort of the focus of our sermon series over the coming weeks. And though the people of God had returned from exile in Babylon, and they had reestablished the temple, and they had reestablished the priesthood, during this time that the book of Malachi was written, Jerusalem still looks like it's been bombed out. Not only that, the crops are dying. It's a terrible, terrible time during the nation's life. And not only that, society had lost its morals. There was, there was falsehood and, and fraud and divorce and adultery and all these things running rampant throughout the city. And unfortunately, we'll find here in just a moment, the source of much of this corruption was happening with the priests themselves. Remember what I said last week about how you can feel like you're going through life, but there's no life going through you? Well, that's essentially what was happening to the people of God, but not just physically, it was happening spiritually. There was no spiritual life running through them. And God lets this go on for 50 to 60 years, and after a few decades, finally decides that it's time to send a messenger. And so he sends Malachi. Now, the name Malachi actually means messenger. It can be translated angel, which is a messenger. We don't know a lot about Malachi, as it turns out, but that's not important because the messenger isn't really the focus here. Everything is about the message that Malachi presents here. And as it turns out, his message was especially important because Malachi is the final work before the coming of Christ. The final canonical work before the coming of Christ. If you look at your Bibles in the backs of the pews, I don't know if it's the same for your Bible that you have in front of you, but if you have a paper, actual paper Bible, you can pull the one out of the pew and turn to page 804 in that Bible. Turn to page 804 and somebody tell me what's on that page. 804. This is what 804 looks like. Page 804. Nothing. This page, this blank page represents 400 years of silence from God between Malachi and the proclamation 
that Jesus and his cousin John will be born. And that announcement that we read in the beginning of Malachi will be the direct fulfillment of the promises made in Malachi. It's a really interesting, really interesting book here. And we're actually entering into the fall season here. It's going to be Advent before long. We're going to be preparing for the coming Messiah. And so, so we're, we're, we're going to kind of go through this almost uh, the way it's laid out here in the Bible. But that page there represents 400 years of silence. So this is a very important message that Malachi brings to the people. Now, the theme of Malachi is how God deserves your best. And you're going to hear it loud and clear here in just a few moments, but God deserves our best. And I got to be honest, it's a tough book. There's some rebukes in here where Malachi is really, really going at the people and trying to correct them and bring them back to God. But before God gets to any of that, in his message, he reminds us of something. And in verse two, he says, I have loved you. Before he gets to any of the rebukes, before he gets to any of these challenges, before he gets to any of the the kind of the hard truths, he says, I have loved you. Now, why does he start this way? Why does he start this way? Because our best is an only reasonable response to his great love for us. And he reminds us of this here at the very beginning of the book. Now, for 50 years, it's crazy to think that, Bruce Springsteen has been turning his struggles into songs and turning his pain into performances all over the world. And he wrote a a memoir in 2016. And Springsteen, in this memoir, tries to overcome a lot of the issues that he had with his father. And right before the 1990 birth of his first son, Evan, his father, Doug, embarked on a sort of impulsive 400-mile journey to his house to see him. And over beers at 11 a.m. in the morning, Doug says something to his son, Bruce. He says, Bruce, you've been very good to us. After a long pause, he says, but I wasn't very good to you. And, And Bruce Springsteen says, that was it. That was what I needed to hear. He said it was all that was necessary. And he asked his father if he had ever heard the words, I love you, from his father. And he said, no, with a little pain in his voice. He said the best that you could get was, love you, pops. And his father would sort of return in a gruff voice. He would say, yeah, me too. Even after he suffered a stroke and he was in pain and he'd be crying, he'd still say to his son, me too. Bruce said he could never get those words out. Now some of you in here, I know you resonate with that story. Some of you in here I know have, have wounds and pains from your father that you're still trying to, to deal with. But I want to remind you this morning that We serve a God 
We serve a God who who didn't have trouble getting those words out. (laughs) We can be thankful that we have a God who is able to get those words out. And he starts in, in Malachi, in the very beginning of Malachi, saying, I have loved you. And that sets the table for these words in verse six. And he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Not fear in the sense of being scared, but fear in the sense of respect. Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? And by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. He says, present that to your city officials, your state officials. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. So in this passage, God raises the issue of honor. He says, I'm, a, I'm your, your spiritual father, your heavenly father. Where, where is my honor? I am your master. Where is your respect? Where is the fear that you have for me? And their response is a series of disrespectful questions See, Malachi's speaking for God and then he's presuming what the people of God are going to say back. And it, 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 have any of you in here been a teenager? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been a teenager. Okay. If you are a teenager right now, maybe you can relate to this scenario. Okay, so a, a father walks into a room and says to his son, you didn't, you didn't clean up your room today like I asked you. And so you're not going to go out tonight. And the son says, what do you mean I didn't clean my room? Right? Well, I told you to clean up your room. Your mother told you to clean up this place, and there's still things everywhere. And the son says, but I organized it all. I know where everything is. And you say, there's still dirty clothes piled up in the, in the corner. There's, there's stuff everywhere. Well, no, there's not stuff everywhere. It's just piled up in the corner. What do you mean by, by everywhere? You see, you get this kind of like, this stalling and really questioning, and, and, it's, and as a parent, it can drive you insane, can it? Right? But conversations like this, even though that they're frustrating for the parent, they're needed. Parental parameters need to be set. And they're not enforced for cruelty, they're enforced for protection. If you're a teenager in here and, and that conversation seems familiar to you and you think it's not a big deal that I, I don't clean my room, it's not a big deal, it's not the end of the world, well, you're missing the point because the intention of the parent is not for you to just clean your room. The intention for the parent is for you to be obedient. Intention for the parent is for you to, to follow what they're saying and the practice of obedience allows for a more intimate parent-child fellowship. 
And similarly, if you're not a teenager in here, this message applies to us as well. God outlines rules for us. He outlined things to protect us. And it's not just that he's this sort of heavenly killjoy that's trying to smash all of our our hopes and dreams. He's put things in place to protect us. And when we stray from him, he lovingly corrects us. He brings us back. And so love is not only expressed, this is really important because I think in the West, I think maybe worldwide, we have a vision of what love is or misguided view of what love is. Love is not only expressed in words of affirmation and appreciation. Love can also be expressed in rebuke. And so the Hebrew word that he uses here, really interesting, the Hebrew word that that Malachi uses for honor there in verse six means something that is heavy. Something that is heavy. Something that is burdensome. Something that requires attention, right? You gotta pay attention to a boulder that's in the middle of the road. You have to allow for that. You have to deal with that thing because it's massive. It's heavy. Like a weight that's pressing down upon our our thoughts, upon our hearts, like something glorious, we have a sense of awe or reverence for this person or this thing. That's the word that Malachi uses here for the word honor. And so honor is therefore the exact opposite of thoughtlessness or neglect. It's the exact opposite of that. It conveys a sense of enormous importance here to the thing to which it's given. It's an expression of value or worth. 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 The word that we have for worship has has a long sort of lineage, but the old English word that it's based on comes from sort of a conjunctive word, worth, Ship. Worship. Worth, obviously we know what that is. The other part of the word, ship, means that it has the quality of worth. And so, friendship is the quality of being a friend or having a friend. Sportsmanship is the quality of being a sportsman. And so worship, worship is the, the quality of having worth. And it's, it's an expression of what you value, what carries weight in your life. You see how it all connects together? What deserves all, what needs to be sort of dealt with. But God's people in the book of Malachi are being thoughtless in their worship. And you say, well, Kevin, this is just about the priests here specifically. It's just about the priests, but it, it's more than that. It's more than that. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, you, you here sitting here today, me and you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You see, in Christ, we're all priests 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we're really all included here in this message here. Now, specifically in the story, in the Old Testament law, it required the people to offer sacrifices from their flocks and herds, unblemished animals, to be brought to the temple, brought to the priests to sacrifice. Now, if a person had a sick animal or a diseased animal, or maybe an animal that wasn't good for for breeding, they might take that animal and they'd say, let's take it to the temple and sacrifice it. It's really no good to us. And they would take it to the priest, and often the priest would know, would see that this animal is blemished, that it's sick or diseased, and the priests would sacrifice it anyway. And God says in verse 10 of the first chapter of Malachi, he says, oh, that you were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. He says, I don't want those contaminated offerings. I don't want those blemished offerings. I don't want those offerings that are no good, that the, that the leftovers, that the last you know, little bits of what you have, the pieces that you're trying to get rid of and donate because you don't want them. I'd rather have somebody shut the doors on the temple. I mean, that is how serious God is about this. He says, I don't want your sacrifices. It's your heart that I want. Any of you remember uh, the radio commentator, Paul Harvey? Yeah, man, what a, what a great voice and so many good stories. Around Thanksgiving, uh, Paul Harvey told a story in 1995 a true story of a woman who called the Butterball Turkey hotline because she had a turkey that had been frozen in the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. And she called the hotline to find out if it was safe to eat the turkey that she had had in the bottom of the freezer for 23 years. And the Butterball Turkey representative said, well, ma'am... Yes, technically, it's safe to eat as long as it's been frozen below zero for all of those 23 years. It's probably safe to eat. But she then cautioned the woman. She said, you know, honestly, for being in the freezer for that long, it's probably not going to have a whole lot of flavor. It's probably not even going to taste very good. To which the the woman responded, that's what I thought. I'll give it to the church. Our offerings are an indication of our hearts. Jesus says very plainly, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so who cares about worship, really? What's the point? Who cares? God cares. Because he's the only one worthy. He's the only one and giving him our best matters because he's given us the best. He's given us himself. 
He's surpassingly greater than anything this world offers. And when we don't give him our best, it makes a mockery of him and what he's done for us. And if you don't know what Jesus has done, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Paul reminds us, and Paul knows this better than anyone. He says he was the chief of sinners. But he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, all of us once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? This is what God has done for us, And Malachi's message from God in this passage is that he wants your best, your very best. He says, don't you see what I have done? That's why he starts with, I have loved you. Don't you see how I I have redeemed you, how I've pulled you out of slavery, both physically and spiritually? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you remember? Don't I deserve more than your leftovers? your tainted sacrifices. And so, man, what does this mean to give less than our best? What does it mean for us? You know, we, we're, not, we're not in a sacrificial system any longer. We're not bringing our sacrifices to the priests. We're not choosing an, an animal from our herd or our flock. And so what does this mean to give a tainted sacrifice for us today? Let me just go over a couple of ideas that come to mind. Leftover sacrifices when I spend a weekend binging on my new Netflix show. Got to find a new show. Man, I love it. And I'm just going to, going to waste some time. Not with God, but I am just going to just sort of take up a whole weekend and binge on this show. And then I'm going to mutter a prayer before I fade off to sleep on Saturday night. It's offering God the leftovers. The leftover sacrifices when we bring to our careers our best energy, our best gifts, our best talents, our best motivation. But when it comes to serving the body of Christ, we sit on the sidelines or we look for someone else to do it. Or look for something that requires the least amount of energy. That's a leftover sacrifice. 
Leftover sacrifices when we spend our entire personal budget on a family vacation or Christmas. But when it comes to giving God an offering, we look at our budget and say, well, what do we have left over? That's a leftover sacrifice. Leftover sacrifice is when we shout after Altuve crushes a two-run homer. But in worship, we sit passively with our hands in our laps. That's a leftover sacrifice. A leftover sacrifice is when we love our kids so much that there's nothing we wouldn't give them. But if we're honest, our heart doesn't really beat that fast about God Almighty. That's a leftover sacrifice. God says, don't bring me your second best. Don't bring me your leftovers. God wants us to love him more than our instruments, than our music. He wants us to love him more than our possessions, more than our food, more than our ministry. God wants us to love him more than our spouses and our children, more than our own lives. That's what he calls us to. And that doesn't mean that we can't love anything else. Don't get me wrong. Or that we shouldn't love anything else, but we can't love anything in the right way unless we love God more. And this, you may think, man, this sounds like a God who's throwing a temper tantrum, who's not getting enough attention. But going back to what we said earlier, God knows that we were created for a purpose. He knows that we were created for worship and the worship of him. And so calling us back to himself and saying, give me your very best is because he knows that that is what is most satisfying to us. It is what is going to give us the most delight. It's the thing in which we need that we sometimes don't even know that we need. God knows it's what's best for us. And he says, give me nothing less than the best. If we love other things and we love God, our desires will be out of whack. And we'll look at temporary pleasures to satisfy eternal needs. And we'll love things that aren't as worthy, they don't have the quality of worth that God does. And so the answer to who cares, who cares about worship? If you were a follower of Jesus, you should. If you are an image bearer of God, you should. If you have the indelible mark of the creator on your heart, you should. The great hymn writer Isaac Watts, who wrote one of our favorite hymns, How Great Thou Art, he said this, he says, the great God values not the service of men if the heart not be in it. The Lord sees and judges the heart. He has no regard to outward forms of worship if there be no inward adoration. You see, we're getting to the heart of the matter here. If no devout affection be employed therein, it is therefore a matter of infinite importance to have the whole heart engaged steadfastly for God. A matter of infinite importance. Who cares about worship? cares God does do you Lord we thank you for 
your love, oh God. And sometimes, like, like a child, we can, we can question these rebukes and, and say, man, God, why are you acting this way? Why do you just desire this much of me? And we can feel like it's all about rules, Lord, but you're really calling us into relationship. You want us to be obedient to your word, Father, because you know what is best for us. And so, God, we thank you for the words of Malachi. We thank you for the message that this messenger brought. And though it's hard to take, it's hard to swallow, Lord, I pray that we would receive it in love and that we would be a people who see worship as a royal waste of time, devoted to our king, not seeking to accomplish anything for ourselves or receive anything for ourselves, but Lord, simply allowing our hearts to be lost in devotion toward you. Would you call us back to worship, oh God? We thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us. And Lord, that you don't obligate us to love you, but instead you gave us the gift of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord, who though we were still sinners, though we were still enemies of you, God, Jesus died for us that we might be reconciled to you, that we might have life and life abundantly. We might know eternal life the Zoe life in Jesus. Father, I pray that this word would fall on our hearts, that you transform us and change us. For those, Father, who don't know Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourselves to them and that they would draw close to him and make him king over their lives. Lord, we thank you for this word and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our communion servers are gonna come forward here this morning. Our prayer partners are gonna be here. We're gonna worship as we come to the table. We take communion, for those of you who are are new and have never been here this morning, we may take communion a little differently than you have in the past. Our communion is open to all believers in Jesus. But we take communion by dipping. It's called intinction. It's sort of the fancy name for it, but it just means to dip. And so one server will have the bread that's been made by hands, homemade here by members of our church who've been praying over it, crafted it together with love. And they'll break off that piece of bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you'll take that piece of bread and the other server with the cup will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And you'll dip it and then return to your seats. And we see, we see communion as a celebration. This is not a, not a sad thing. We're celebrating what the Lord has done for us. And so we pray that you would come with joy this morning and be reminded of what Jesus has done and that it would propel you into worship. Won't you come?